Welcome to Supply Chain Central, a podcast made by the Rutgers University Supply Chain Association, delivered to you monthly to keep you up to date on all things supply chain. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Season 4, Episode 1 of the Supply Chain Central. Today's episode features Jason Lippman, a seasoned supply chain professional who is currently a Director of Operations for Williams-Sonoma Incorporated. He helps to oversee Williams-Sonoma's East Coast Distribution Center, comprising more than 3.3 million square feet of warehouse space, which supports the home delivery of millions of dollars of furniture products daily. Thank you for joining us today, Jason. Thanks, James. Good to be with you. Hey, how are you doing today? I'm, I'm doing good. It's uh, another, another busy uh, Friday for us, getting ready for the weekend. Um, we uh, always have an opportunity over the weekends to sometimes catch up a little bit on... Uh, uh, some of the things we missed during the week, we had a busy week this week, so uh, it's Friday, which I'm looking forward to the weekend, but uh, certainly <laughs> a little bit to catch up on. Yeah, Good to be with yeah, you, yeah. though. Yeah, yeah, thank you for joining us today. That tends to be the nature of operations usually, right? It's, uh, it, it, it is. I, I've had I've been in operation about 15 years, and I can tell you um, that it's uh, definitely something where you uh, are certainly committed, you know, have a lot of commitments um, to make, and that's why it's so important to have a good team and have good relationships with folks in your team because uh, the one thing about operations is there's a lot of rewarding, fulfilling um, areas that we'll probably get into in this course this interview that, that make operations great. But the time commitment certainly um, is uh, somewhat onerous, um, so it's not necessarily for everyone. Um, but uh, it's been something that's uh, been, as I said, rewarding and been a good opportunity for me uh, for the 15 years of my career. Mm-hmm. Sounds like it. So then could you walk us through your educational background and the career path that led you to this position? Yeah, sure. So um, it started for me uh, back in 2009. Um, I graduated from Penn State with a Bachelor of Science in Supply Chain Management. Um, During my time at Penn State, I had the opportunity to work as a co-op at Johnson & Johnson. So that was really 15 years ago, which I find so hard to believe. and then in the summer of 2008, the following year, I had a chance to work for Rick Ben Kieser, um, which is a large consumer package, good company, um, Lysol, Woolite, Mucinex, number of other uh, consumer package goods. And then, um, as some may remember, I'm probably dating myself here a little bit, but um, we're obviously going through some economic turmoil right now. Um, we were going through a lot of upheaval in the economy in 2008 uh, with the housing crisis. So that's when I was graduating college. So it was kind of a scary. It was a scary time. Um, and then as I was always gra- as I was graduating, um, there really weren't a lot of job openings. Um, we are un- unemployment's uh, a little over three percent now. It's lowest it's been in I don't know maybe half a century or more. Um, at that time, unemployment was high. I forget if it was in the high single digits or even the low double digits. At one point, it was it was really bad. Um, and I actually was going into my senior year sort of faced with that, which was kind of scary. Um, fortunately for me, I was able to um, get a full-time job um, for DHL Supply Chain, um, which at the time was known as Excel, but then since sort of spun off into D- which D- now DHL Supply Chain. Um, and that company um, uh, was a good opportunity for me to start my career. And I had decided, uh, James, during my senior year that I wanted to take on uh, a role as my first foray into supply chain uh, in operations. I wanted to get into operations where I would be able to lead a team, 
have that on my resume, be able to say that I uh, led a group uh, to be able to achieve results, and it sounded very attractive to me. And going to my senior year, it's what I kind of focused on uh, regarding trying to get a job, and uh, found a job uh, with DHL, um, which was a really good opportunity for me. And I had the opportunity at that point to work in their or on their 7-Eleven account. So we were shipping cartons of or gallons and half gallons of milk, uh, hot dog rolls, um, uh, yogurt, uh, perishable goods. Mm-hmm. The idea of a high value item uh, for them, which we actually referred to high value items, were, were literally if you were going to 7-Eleven, those hot dog rollers, you might may see them. Those are called high value items. So those were treated like gold, believe it or not. Um, and uh, those were some of the most expensive things that we, we shipped. They were probably, you know, retail fifty, sixty dollars a box. Um, but given the volume we had, it was it was it was high high valued. Um, so I did that, and then had the opportunity to uh, work for Amazon after that, which was a great opportunity in my career to be able to really. Um, Continue to further my my time in in, in operations. Excuse me, led a large team, a larger team, um, multiple areas of the building. Had a chance to work in quality, continuous improvement. Do a lot of those um, areas, kind of as a frontline manager um, that you really want to get your feet wet with early in your career. So I had a chance to do that, and um, really was 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 good to good to do. I learned a lot from that. The multiple roles I had within Amazon on my time there. Um, Did you find that they have the same stigma they had today, or was uh... that's a great? It's a great question. Depends what you mean by that, but but I, I think I know what you mean. Uh, certainly, it's a tough place to work. Mm-hmm. It's a tough place to work. I, I, would, I would say that candidly, um, it's not for everyone. I think it's about a lot of companies, but I would say that's really not for everyone. Um, and I did enjoy my time there. I did enjoy um, the folks that I've worked with and the folks I worked for. Overall, um, one of the main things I learned there. It's a very fast-paced, competitive environment, which I think at a young age um, helped me um, to develop and helped me to grow. Uh, one of the things I learned that was uh, kind of vital there, it's obviously a large company, and it's grown so much in the last 10 plus years, but even the time when I was there, one of the things I learned was some, sometimes when you take on a new role, depending on how big a company is, you may transfer to another building or, 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 or move to another side of the operation or whatever it might be, is that sometimes your performance, good or bad, isn't taken with you. So I was a pretty, pretty high performing manager and then I opted to move to a new, new, another location within, the, within the, the business, another building, and with basically all new managers. Um, and I was kind of at a point where I thought I was in line for a promotion, and how, but I was kind of starting over. Um, and that was kind of challenging at that part of my career. And I think I lacked professional maturity and how to, to deal with that. Um, mm-hmm. So that was really a, um interesting experience for me, that they have to go through that and kind of in some ways start over um, after, you know, put in some, some good time and did some good work. Um, and, you know, sort of, sort of through that, um, I did have the opportunity for a promotion. However, it ended up being externally. So um, I moved to Nestle. At that part of my career, and um, that's a great organization. Um, you know, I, I would say, and unfortunately, from a culture fit, that was probably of any place I worked, the, the place where I had probably the, um, the the culture fit was probably the 
the, the worst or lowest. Mm -hmm. um, just for me, and a lot of it was good, smart people, um, but it was kind of a clicky. I felt like it was a click. Mm -hmm. um, and that was kind of tough for me because I didn't, I guess for every reason I didn't feel like I necessarily fit into that. Mm -hmm. um, so um, it's great to have a pro shop opportunity, great to work for uh, a big organization. I had multiple sites smaller than, than I think some buildings to look at, look, to look after now, but, but it had multiple sites to look, look after, which was, which was good. Um, uh, one, one major and then a couple um, smaller ones that were kind of build, uh, seasonal build buildings, but it was a really great opportunity to have that, that um, sort of P&L responsibility mm -hmm. um, and to be able to have that focus, but just the cultural fit wasn't there. Mm -hmm. And at that time, I was also kind of thinking about whether I wanted to stay in operations or not. And um, I'd worked in operations for, for some time at that point, um, and happened to be contacted by um, Rekha Pankiser, where I mentioned earlier in this conversation where I interned. Mm -hmm. So um, they had a project manager role, which would have taken me out of operations, sort of in supporting operations, but um, but a chance to go back to a company that I really wanted to work for, but they just weren't hiring when I graduated. Mm -hmm. So it was kind of an opportunity to, in that regard, come full circle. Um, and uh, took that opportunity to, to, to join them um, and uh, had a chance to work with uh, some really great people there um, uh, and had a chance to uh, be in charge of a really you know, great initiative, a large project. Actually, at the time, was, was the largest project in the, the, in the North American supply chain. Um, I had the chance to open up a 750,000 square foot building in Atlanta, Georgia, oh, wow. which I was which I was in charge of, and it required a lot of travel and a lot of time, a lot of um, you know, concentration. It was almost like a consultant. I'd get on a, I'd get on a plane every Monday at six five a.m. or six a.m. and come back on Friday afternoon. Um, yeah, I was fly. I was I literally almost blindfolded did that that commute that commute for for, for some time. And I was going from, from Newark to Atlanta, and then Atlanta to Newark. And uh, those those that are from the South, I, I got used to a lot of the Southern foods. Um, I spent, in some cases, more time in, in Atlanta than I was spending in, in, in at home. So uh, that was a great, great to do, great opportunity. Um, sometimes, kind of simultaneously, I was getting my master's degree. Um, so uh, I got my MBA, it was great. Um, and uh, it was really, really great to wrap up that that project. Um, they, uh, after it was done, everything went well. There was still kind of that pull, okay, you're done with the project, now you're supporting operations, hey, would you go back into operations? At the time, I didn't really want to. Mm -hmm. um, so I ended up uh, not, not doing that. Um, and for the first time in my career, um, eventually had the opportunity to um, work for a smaller company. Um, and it was, I really, again, I really didn't want to work in operations. You know, I, had some, I, I saw myself at that point kind of, kind of at, a, at a completion point, um, mm -hmm. get my MBA and uh, had the opportunity to work for, I guess I had a small company. It's an, an environmental company, so it was probably the one turn of my career that um, you know, I look back on and, and I, I say, if, not necessarily from a negative point, but one thing I kind of learned from working SRG is the name of the company, is um, you know when you work for a smaller company versus work for a big company. Um, obviously, large companies can be can merge or get sold, and look at be layoffs. Look, see what's happening in the economy now that happens. Mm -hmm. When you work for a small company, um, some of that 
there's more risk. Let's mm-hmm. say there's, I think there's more risk. I mean, you could you could argue that both ways, but I kind of learned that um, the individual that, that owned that company was there's only like four fifty people in the company, mm-hmm. but I was kind of brought in, um, kind of as an kind of as a uh, senior person within the organization, executive, whatever you want to use, um, to help them grow. Um, and they're uh, an environmental company, which which I thought was was noble to the fact that they're they're focused on sustainability, mm. and they uh, focused on on taking food and water waste from manufacturing plants and attempting to find a home for uh, this this waste. So waiting mm. to be recycled into, into, into a good. So uh, I was focused on the largest project within the organization, and really was was said to be the main revenue builder for the organization. That was. To collect twenty-five thousand tons of spent coffee grounds from a manufacturing plant for New Jersey, which happened to be Nescafe, um, and uh, that was quite an endeavor um, and quite an operation. Had to basically design my own manufacturing plant, uh, hire a team of people, um, all kinds of work that had to be done with within New Jersey from a construction and a building standpoint, a manufacturing standpoint, work with engineers multiple different companies to help get this manufacturing plant started, a collection process started, mm-hmm. finding sales and marketing homes for where the goods would go, the coffee, once mm-hmm. it was collected. So we got paid to, to collect the coffee, but that really isn't what made the organization profitable. What made the organization profitable was finding a home for the spent coffee grounds. Mm-hmm. So um, the, main, the main or first place we were able to, to, to send these grounds to was to a place in Alabama that actually took these golf coffee grounds in their dried state, so actually this 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 facility that I helped build um, had a uh, large fluid bed dryer, which basically took this coffee that was damp, wet, from Nestle, and actually took the water out of it, so that when we shipped it, it was just pure coffee, basically. Mm-hmm. So we would ship it so that there maybe maybe there's I don't know there was probably thirty or thirty five percent water. I want to say in the in the coffee when we, when we ship, you couldn't tell. I mean, you you, you take a, a handful of coffee, mm-hmm. you might have felt damp, but you wouldn't say, "Wow, this is thirty five percent water," mm-hmm. but it was. And our goal was to dry it down so that it would be about seven to ten percent water, and the rest ninety three percent coffee. So that's really what the plant was designed to do. Mm-hmm. And we took the dried coffee and then we sent it to this place in Alabama, in Royal Oak, and the coffee grounds were then used to uh, create a fire log. So it was actually a fire log made out of coffee, mm-hmm. which is pretty pretty interesting. Um, and we uh, we did that, and uh, we found another another um, supplier that uh, had some, some needs for, for spent coffee grounds. Um, they had a pellet. I'm not sure if you're familiar with heat uh, um, pellet stoves. You can use for home heating. Mm-hmm. They're used, they're used in, in colder areas in the Northeast. Um, basically, they found that when or we found through some cell. Um, R&D that I, I let up that we could, if we sent them these coffee grounds, and it would actually speed up the pellet, and actually would just put it as an additive, they would add coffee to the additive to make these pellets. And as a result of doing that, it actually in- increased efficiency by about 20 or 25% of the pellet melt, just because of the lubricating factor, I guess, of the coffee. Again, I'm not an engineer, so um, people smarter than me, I worked with them to do this. So. Did you enjoy having to take on those additional capacities and having to oversee things that weren't necessarily in your core competency? It's a great question, and I, I did. I mean, I, I enjoy um, dealing with the ambiguity and being able to really kind of 
it's, it's, it's one of the amazing I've learned in, in my career is being able to lead, I would almost say lead around things you don't always understand and be able to deal with the ambiguity and you may not have a hundred, it's good to have a hundred percent grasp on something, you want to, you want to have the data behind it, but sometimes you have to work with your team, delegate, rely, rely on your team and be able to, um, as I said, just kind of be nimble enough to, to make decisions on the fly, get as much data as you can to make a decision, make a call on things. So I had to do a lot of that in that role, mm-hmm. where there were things that I had to re- rely on other people that, to give me advice, explain it to me in a way that I could understand, mm-hmm. make decisions, be able to communicate with key stakeholders to be able to say this is where we're at, and be able to sort of put it in a way that people around me and my team could understand it too. Mm-hmm. So, so now, in many ways I'm translating something that I don't understand but trying to understand enough that I could explain it to someone else. Mm. So that's always tricky, right? Mm-hmm. But but I, I, I enjoyed that that part of the role. Um, so so you know things were going going well overall um, within the business. Um, but unfortunately, um, they uh, as I mentioned earlier in the conversation, they ended up um, they being the venture capitalist on the company who hired me ended up selling the company. So that was that was one of the risks. Obviously, he had, <laughs> he had a track record of that of um, buying and selling companies, which venture capitalists do. Mm-hmm. Um, so this one was no different. So. Um, sold by fifty percent of the company, um, uh, which you know impacted my role there. So that was that was a, a challenging thing in your career. Obviously, you're seeing a lot of people getting laid off mm. um, right now, which is very scary. I saw more announcing more layoffs from other companies. Uh, yeah, as of yesterday, even um, DocuSign, I think, it's, you know, announced more layoffs. Uh, a lot of tech companies are. Mm-hmm. That was that was a difficult part. It was but just before the pandemic, even so, um, that was a difficult take um, when I found that out. But um, it kind of led me, I guess, back into operations. Well, in some ways, back into operations because, mm-hmm. well, in that role I was overseeing operations. I guess a project manager, would you call yourself? Well, probably, probably more so because I was, all, and I was also involved with sales and marketing. So it was kind of multi, you wore a lot of hats. Mm-hmm. In that role, you really wore a lot of hats because you only have, you know, I said 50 people, maybe 40 people in the company, you know, mm-hmm. and a good half to two thirds of them probably were driving trucks. Because there was there was a, the, the collection of, of waste at multiple manufacturing plants over the country, so it's a really small company. So you look to your left, look to your right, look to your left. You know you're not the, you're you're the you're the guy you're the guy or gal that, that's in charge of, of that. And there's you know there's 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 some support, but a lot of support we had to get would have been like through consultants or externally. You know what I'm saying? So um, a little bit different in that regard. Um, but um, really had. Um, you know, a good good experience. I got some really good skills and challenge under my belt. Mm-hmm. But I ended up um, through that. Um, literally, the, the day I got those, the, the bad news about, about the layoff from my uh, uh, owner of the company, um, he, uh, he gave me that news, and I literally that day, it, it would happen. This is why I would say, this is probably advice for particularly for for young students, young professionals. That networking is really important. It really is, um, and I say that because I literally hours. I'll never forget this. Hours after finding out about um, what had happened with, um, with this layoff, um, I was on my was on my phone, and I, I just literally was just on LinkedIn, not not just, just happened to go to the website, and you know I was kind of stunned. Started like probably told my wife what happened and what was happening. Mm-hmm. And I noticed a colleague of mine who I worked with at Amazon, I mentioned earlier, who was an acquaintance, certainly I hadn't talked to him in a number of years, 
he mentioned he was leaving Amazon. And he might put a post on that on LinkedIn about it. So I messaged him and I said, you know, congratulations. He was, he was, it was by choice. He wanted to spend some time with family. Work-life balance was not the greatest. He had some young kids. He was in Texas. And, and um, I, met, I messaged him and said, you know, congratulations. Now I'd love to catch up soon. He said, you know, why don't we catch up later today? I mean, I hadn't talked to him in a few years probably. That's out of, you know, messaging here and there. So I got on the phone with him as my, my drive home. And I said, told him kind of what was happening, you know, with this. I said, you know, how you been? Congratulations. I told him what was happening to me. He said, I'm sorry to hear that. He said, well, you know, where do you want to go next? I said, you know, I don't know right now at this point. I'm just kind of just getting, I'm just absorbing everything. I'm digesting this tough news, you know, James. And he said to me, um, listen, I, I, I was contacted uh, by someone at Wayfair um, uh, about a job opportunity, and, and um, it's in Texas. But I don't really think it's a good fit for me right now. I know they're hiring throughout the country. I don't know what they might have, but I can make an introduction for you. So he made an introduction for me to a recruiter who thought very highly of this, this gentleman. And as a result of that, um, they gave, she you know, gave me a chance to talk to me and that kind of stuff. And after 13 interviews, I think it was 13 interviews. 13. 13 interviews, yeah. Yeah, some of those were around might have been like interviewing five different people. Mm-hmm. But I think it was thirteen interviews. A couple of them were people twice. Twice, um, I was made a job offer uh, uh, with Wayfair, and it wasn't actually an operations; it was actually continuous improvement, mm-hmm. operational excellence. Mm-hmm. So it was really uh, maybe basically tasked with going to distribution centers, working collaboratively with uh, leaders there to identify waste, uh, to standardize processes. Uh, find out best practices and be able to share them throughout the the, 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 the country mm-hmm. throughout that and it was focused on inbound actually mm-hmm. um, which is obviously you know, a very important part of operations mm-hmm. um, so you know did that and um, uh, that was really fascinating I was traveling a lot I was um, going to Boston once a month with their headquarters going to other distribution centers meeting people leading presentations leading Kaizen's uh, Kaizen being a um, Kaizen is a Japanese word for waste removal or, or, or waste. Basically, it's a a, a a process where you get with a number of people, namely hourly associates, and you work with them collaboratively on trying to find and identify waste and remove it from processes. Hmm. So, um, worked on that. So it was, was was really fascinating, and this was happening right before the pandemic. And then during the pandemic, travel was 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 kind of put 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 to hold. Um, and I really just worked on locally in Cranberry, actually, not far from here, um, working with their site on COVID protocols and processes to minimize the amount of exposure that folks had, um, which was really, really an awesome challenge. When I got there, like two thirds of the management staff was on, was on, on leave because of COVID. Wow. And I don't know how many associates, 20% of the building or something like that at some point have been affected, put some program procedures in place. We went a couple months without, without outside of having a couple cases. We, we, we dramatically, through some of the things we did together, uh, reduced the amount of cases we had and were able to continue to operate. Uh, so that was really, really successful in that regard. Um, with all that, um, there, there have been some, 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 some um, I don't know what word I would use, turmoil, turmoil, I guess, might be the best word to use. Um, through some of the home delivery operations within Wayfair. Mm-hmm. Um, they had some turnover and um, the performance wasn't great in a couple places. Um, so with that, um, I was given an opportunity through a guy that I worked with 
um, Unlinked Teams Improvement Team, he was getting ready to become a move over to the operations side as a regional director. Um, and he moved into that role uh, in the summer of 2020. And in talking with him, I had the opportunity to lead one of the sites that he was going to be overseeing. Um, and I had the opportunity to lead uh, what was the largest hub, um, delivery hub in, in Wayfair's network. So yeah, I had a chance to do that. Um, and that was a really interesting opportunity. My first time being back in operation in six years. So I really had been actually really working in operations, actually six and a half years. Mm-hmm. So I really been working in operations. You know, six and a half years out, it's kind of like, this is different to get back in, but within, honestly, within like a, a month or a few weeks in, I was kind of like back in the groove in some regards of mm-hmm. like, okay, this is what it's like to be an operator again. You went from building the operation to then actually being the person who runs it once the plans are finished. Exactly, well, so I, I, went, I went from kind of running them to doing that, as you said, James, to kind of getting back into driving the car again. Mm-hmm. And it felt good. It really felt good, honestly. Um, you know, I, I always say the one thing about operations that I like is that uh, you may not like the score, but you know the score. Mm-hmm. Meaning, uh, sometimes it's sometimes maybe other roles. I experienced this before I was in this uh, in the role I currently, or previously um, when I was at uh, Wayfair. Is like what you're measured by. And some sometimes some other places or other departments might be a little bit more difficult to see. I can tell you right now in my current role our objectives and the metrics and sort of how we're doing with them. Mm-hmm. Other roles I've been in, it's been kind of like, well, we did this and that. You can have objectives. But it was a little bit more theoretical mm-hmm. in some regards. I experienced that uh, when I was doing teams improvement at Wayfair. Is that visibility important for you and how you work too as an employee? It, it, I think it is. And that's one of the things I liked about getting back in operations is, like I said, you may not like the score, but you know the score. So at least you like, go into like, okay, we, we did well with this, great job. Maybe we didn't do as well with this. What are we doing to fix it? Mm-hmm. And it was, and it, it's very, in that regard, very logical. Like, mm-hmm. here's the bar. Here's where you are. What are we doing to bridge the delta? Mm-hmm. Here's the bar. Here's where you are. You're doing better than that. What are you doing to continue that or raise the bar again and improve it? And that's kind of that mentality across safety, quality, customer experience, and cost. Mm-hmm. So being at Wayfair, um, you know, uh, that was kind of getting. Well, after I finished with continuous improvement, I moved into operations, it gave me an opportunity to, to, to do that again, which I really, really enjoyed. And I never, I'd worked in distribution, but I never really worked, um, never worked, excuse me, in hub operations or DC, um, home delivery operations. Mm-hmm. It was a little, little bit different in that regard. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, that was, that was really interesting to be able to get back and do that. Um, and uh, that kind of takes me to where I'm today. So, um, yeah, I'm really in a great spot um, at Williams-Sonoma as director of operations. Uh, being in charge of you know, multiple buildings um, that have uh, you know, several hundred employees uh, working collaboratively with, with those employees as well as some third-party providers that we work with um, uh, in partnership to receive and ship to uh, customers via retail outlets, retail stores, which is a little bit different than we had at Wayfair, and um, obviously through online, which we were more, I was more familiar with, obviously, mm-hmm. um, uh, being from Wayfair. So at Williamson, it's, it's been great to be able to do that. I work with a really great team, teams um, that are very knowledgeable, very good at their jobs, very experienced at their jobs. Mm-hmm. But I'd say most of them are happy at their jobs. And it makes it for a really great environment, great, great uh, culture, um, a people-first culture, which I think is really true. An open, open door environment where we can all talk to each other and relate to one another and mm. challenge each other, but 
figure out the best pro- best process for each other and for our customers. Mm. And I really in, enjoy being in, being in that. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm uh, here. We are really here. We are uh, being in this position now. Mm-hmm. So then, could you take us through what your day to day work life looks like here? Oh boy, it's it's really funny. And I'll give you the old. I'll start with the old adage that no two days don't look the same. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, if, if you think about it from a, a standpoint of all things start with inbound. So mm-hmm. every, every obviously anything that. Um, comes in the buildings that I come through that way. So, so much of what I do is working with the, the teams I lead to ensure that our flow is proper and that we're inbounding what we need to inbound based off of either age or dollar priorities that we're bringing revenue into the building and uh, revenue into the company mm-hmm. properly. Um, but then we're also on the outbound side taking care of our customers and, and prioritizing aged orders and, and, and prioritizing. Um, what needs to get to the customer by the by the recommended ship date that the customer's expecting, so that we're fulfilling that, um, and that we are uh, ensuring that um, that's happening on a daily basis, so seven days a week. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, um, you know, part of the operation as inbound, part of it's outbound. But on the outbound side, um, something that maybe was a little different sort of than Wayfair is, uh, or similar in the sense that that obviously partnership with the UPS, so smaller, more smaller box items going to go out via UPS, which mm-hmm. would be the, the same um, at Wayfair. Um, one of the things that was different in the sense of uh, differences between the two companies, and there are, there are many, um, is Wayfair didn't really have a lot of um, distribution centers. They just recently started doing this with distribution centers that, and hubs that were in the same building. Mm-hmm. That's something that, uh, as a model, that Williamson Home has used for a long time. Mm-hmm. So for us, um, uh, one of the buildings I lead um, when we're shipping to the customer, uh, in many cases we're actually shipping to a hub that will then ship to the customer. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it, it could be that could be in, with even in within the same building that we're shipping to another part of the building, mm-hmm. such as 1.2 million square feet, that uh, that that side of the building is taking care of that, ensuring that these orders are delivered to the customer um, each and every day. Um, but because of uh, inventory where it may be in a country, a certain customer orders something that isn't in that region, so we are shipping to other hubs throughout the country to ensure that that customer gets what they need and that a nearer or, or closer, I should say, delivery hub is able to deliver to that customer so they get what they need. So mm-hmm. um, there's a lot of collaboration across our m- multiple four regions, four of our regions, and um, just really in, it, in ensuring that um, uh, our customers take care of, and that's so, that's so important to um, who we are in our DNA as a company. Mm-hmm. And then as far as, too, you really help to make sure the customers are treated well. I know that you yourself can't go out there and make sure every box is going where it needs to be, but could you break down in your day approximately what percent of your day would you say you're performing tasks, and then what percent you are assigning and talking with other team members? It's uh, a great question. It's hard to, to put a percentage on it. I'll tell you. Maybe I could say it this way. Um, if I compare what I do now to when I was, let's say, a supervisor at Amazon a number of years ago, mm-hmm. is a much higher percentage of it was working collaboratively, but 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 kind of um, hands-on uh, taking care of tasks. I think is how you described it, because mm-hmm. you're working directly with with hourly employees. Here, it's probably it's it's more. I would almost say exception management. Hmm. Meaning, 
ensuring that we're, we're, we're hitting our KPIs and that we're, we're doing what we're supposed to do um, for the flow. But then if we have customer escalations or store escalations or whatever it might be, that we're ensuring that that stuff gets prioritized so that that way um, that customer or that issue is being taken care of. And, and working with the team to make sure it's prioritized. So that stuff very well may flow through myself, my, my boss. Mm-hmm. We may get that. And then ensure that um, the folks on our teams uh, know what they need to do to execute. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I, I, I will say that's something I've noticed um, through some growth in my career that, that as you move up, you probably focus a little bit more on exception management mm-hmm. and, and ensuring that you're sort of riding, you go, things are even keel as much as possible. Um, and, and taking care of the, the one-offs, mm-hmm. then whereas in uh, maybe when you're more of a um, manager and manages directly hourly associates, you're probably more in execution mode. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously, there are things that come across my desk that that I handle directly and execute myself. Um, but a good portion of it's going to be through um, collaboration and partnership with uh, other other people. Mm-hmm. No, it makes a lot of sense. All these things, too, sound wonderful, but I guess it takes a lot more hard work than I think our conversation merits. Transitioning a little bit as far as building the skills to actually be able to do the things you've done, what would you say are the most important hard and technical skills to accumulate in college or any education for success across a wide array of supply chain entry-level jobs? It's mm. a great question. I mean, if I, if I, I'll say it this way. I think data is king. Data is king, and and being able to prove something and be able to prove it with numbers is going to be so important to I think young any young leader to know. I know I, I got my MBA as I mentioned about five years ago. I finished my MBA five years ago, and I didn't go the route. I, I got a general MBA at the University of Indiana. Um, I actually um, did that, and it was a, a sort of a hybrid program where I was online. Most mostly online, but some some in person, but almost almost entirely online. And um, one of the, the areas people could focus on was, was business analytics, mm-hmm. and and that is so key and so important to be able to have that because you you, you want to prove something to someone, say it in numbers, you know. I think that that's really important. I think there's something to be said about being able to articulate ideas and and sell something that numbers are really important, but. Um, you may need other skills to do that, but from a technical side, having having that is important. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I would say, and I'd be the first to admit uh, this, uh, guess publicly, is I'm not a Excel guru, okay, mm-hmm. with it. But I think it's super important to be able to use that and to do that, particularly um, for from an analytics perspective, to be able to show data in a, in a concise, quick manner. Mm-hmm. Um, have that, and I speak to a lot of folks that are getting their bachelor's or master's degrees that are young professionals or going to be young professionals and it's competitive in that regard and I think a lot of people are, are honing in on that. I, I remember when I was a student that was it was, an, it was an important skill but I think it's probably gotten to be all the more important. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think really understanding that and I think any place you work is really understanding processes and operations. You know, mm-hmm. It takes time but trying to get your feet wet and, or Feet wet, hands dirty, whatever you want to use to do that, I think is important at any level, but I think particularly as a young professional, and to really learn as much as you can. So, any company or organization is going to have sort of their 
homegrown systems, whether that be in operations or some area, other supply chain, or other area of business. Mm. So it's important to, to take time out to understand that. And one of the nice things about Williams Sonoma is uh, that I would, would brag about our companies. We have a lot of people who have been using systems for a long time. Mm. So they either talk about, you ever hear about like you know ten thousand hours of mm. of of time to become an expert on something. Well, we have people that probably 20, 30, 40 thousand years, <laughs> maybe of, of expertise in something. So. Mm. Um, kind of as a, a bit of advice regarding that, regarding technical assist, uh, processes and systems, is um, you know folks that are starting out is to be able to to find those people that are experts and try to pick pick their brain, you know, spend time with them, understand that because um, that is super important. Mm -hmm. Very 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 key. And then with that in mind too, would you say business analytics would be the best all-purpose college degree to get if you're not certain of what you want to do? Well, I I think I think it's a it, it's a it's a good path to go. I remember so that that was a and I, from a bachelor's perspective, I don't remember. You know, I, I went to Penn State. I don't remember that there was we had management information systems was a was a degree people could get. Um, information science technology was a separate degree you can get. I don't remember there being like a business analytics or data analytics. Major per se, but I know for the master's level, and maybe now at other universities, maybe the bachelor's level, that is like a degree that's offered. Mm -hmm. I think it's a really, it's a good one to have. Um, you know, it's so tricky in college though, as far as your your 20, 19, 20, 21, however old you are, you may not really have a good handle what you want to do in life. And I can even say for myself, like I've stayed, in, I've stayed either in supply chain related to supply chain my whole career, but you know, I got out of a section of supply chain and got back into it. You know, because I wanted something when I graduated and didn't want it mid-career. Mid and then through some uncertainty, later in my career, wanted it again. Mm. You know, um, I felt there would be more um, security, I guess, if you will, mm. um, being uh, being in, in operations. Um, so I think it's a good thing to answer your question. I think, I think business analytics is a good major to have. But then again, I, I fully anticipate someone graduating with a bachelor's, maybe not knowing exactly what they want to do. I'm a believer and taking a step back and that getting a bachelor's degree in something that is is purposeful or that you, and I say that I, I not not a knock at other majors but in the sense of something that you could, could get a job with at the end. Mm. I'm I'm a big believer in that. Um, that's the advice I would give someone. But listen, I minored in sociology. I love sociology. It was great. And other people, my actually my college roommate majored in sociology, and he became a teacher. And other things you can do, you get a master's degree and other things like that to find your career. But I think it's important, whatever major you pick, whether it is business analytics or something mm. else, that it helps you to at least get a path, even if you're going to change your path, mm. I think. But I think at a young age, um, a lot of people may not know what they want to do, and, and it may change one or multiple times within their career, and that's okay. Um, but uh, you know, I, I, I always, I guess, given my, my own path, I lean towards practical. Mm. I lean towards business engineering, um, you know, teaching, nursing, something that that can can lead to a uh, career thereafter. But um, that's actually some of the reasons why people get master's degrees. Sometimes mm. maybe they get a bachelor's in something that um, isn't necessarily going to lead to to a, a job directly, or um, that it wouldn't necessarily lend itself to um, those opportunities just based on the bachelor's degree itself. Um, but a lot of people get a bachelor's in something that is unrelated to business and get an MBA later on, and mm -hmm. that's their business degree. Um, 
So it really depends. Mm. No, I think you make a very good point, especially with how much student debt you could accidentally accumulate. Do you think, are there any college majors that are misnomers in society and are actually perceived as being better than they really are? Oh, <laughs> that is such a tough one. Here's what I would say, um, and this is kind of, uh, I, don't know if I, I don't know if I would say there's, there's, there's value in all majors because I think that there's something you can learn and grasp, and at a young age, it can help you um, develop and help you learn and be quicker on your feet or, or more of a critical thinker. That could be anything ranging from being an aerospace engineer to being an English major. Like there's different, there's different strengths, and if you really challenge someone in both those areas, th they could really uh, uh, develop and could help them with what they're going to do in life, whatever that may be. Mm. So it's hard to say if there's anything that, you know, uh, there might be a misnomer on. I mean, I would say supply chain, when I was majoring in it, um, it was a hot major. This mm. is back in, in the you know, late 2000s, and it's blown up. I mean, it, it was hot then, it's just blown up now. I will tell you that one of the things I, I've reflected on that I think is kind of interesting is when I was earlier in my career, I always got the sense and it felt that supply chain, logistics, that kind of thing was they were kind of, kind of they did the grunt work for the business. Ah, they take, they deliver, deliver my goods for me, you know, get me my product. Whereas other sales and marketing and other areas might have been more hot or attractive from that regard. Mm. And with what we've seen through the pandemic and all the supply changes throughout the world, I think there's been a lot more respect. And I think it should be put on supply chain. Mm. And I think you're going to see probably examples of more CEOs in years to come that may come from supply chain, whereas then that, that couldn't happen, but it maybe wouldn't be as commonly, wouldn't as commonly happen. Mm. That people that were able to navigate some of these issues, like, wow, it took a lot of business acumen. You didn't just deliver me my carton of milk or my sofa. You really got over a huge business problem that involved you collaborating with multiple entities in the business to be able to execute it mm. and how important that is. So I don't know if the answer to your original question, I don't know if there's an area that has maybe is a misnomer to whether it's respected more or maybe not necessarily looked at um, as well or should be. But, you know, I would say that um, there's, there, there, there's something to be gathered through all areas. Um, and I experienced, as I said, supply chain. Again, it was never overt. It was kind of like a supply mm. chain, you know. I felt I felt there were a little bit of record or never ever said to me expressly, but it kind of got the thought, we're just supply chain. <laughs> and now it's kind of like, mm, every area of the business is important, and you really can see how much supply chain can save your bacon mm. um, during a pandemic. Mm. No, absolutely, because it's certainly always existed. Products have always had to move somehow. Right. I guess people have typically touted it to be, it's the simple part of the business. We don't need to think about that, but really it's sure. modern data solutions. Would you say that it's opened up the idea of you should really optimize from end to end as opposed to just one function of your business? It's important to. I really I think it, I think it is, is important to. I mean, it, it, it you have to. It has to be integrated, and you have to really have those solutions from the raw material all the way to the customer. And that was really the day one Supply Chain 101 was was trying to understand that flow, but there are so many complexities that we're seeing mm -hmm. throughout the world, internationally, strikes, mm -hmm. um, delays, viruses, inflation, all of labor, <laughs> which is 
similar characters, obviously strikes, but even, even in different realms, laws, that all of it involves supply chain and having to navigate all of those areas to be able to satisfy the customer, mm-hmm. which you could argue in business is rule number one. And you really can't make that happen. No knock on any other areas of the business, but you can't make that happen without a, a good, a good, uh, well-performing supply chain. Mm-hmm. I absolutely agree. And then specifically getting into supply chain, as far as what they teach us at Rutgers, they segment supply chain as a model of planning, procuring, making, and delivering. Yes. I guess two questions to start for you is, do you agree with that idea, number one? And number two, in the general, those general legs, which one do you think offers the best entry-level jobs? So we had the same, the same um, uh, uh, four areas at Penn State, and I honestly don't remember. What was it? Plan, make, deliver? What was it? Plan, plan procure, make, and deliver. Yeah. Okay, right. Yeah, we had the same, same ones. I mean, obviously, I, I've been more on the d- deliver side of my career. Um, it's with the, it would depend on what you want to do. Because all of those are are important. So you know, with plan, that's that's your inventory planning and ensuring that that um, you are prepared from from raw material to get to the customer. And there's a, a, a lot a lot with that. It's a hot topic right now. Hot topic with our our company. So that's super important. You know, working hand in hand with with procurement, where you're. That's a, that's right. That's where I find a lot of people that graduate supply chain, in my experience, want to get into because mm-hmm. um, they feel it's strategic and that you're ensuring that that end-to-end, um, you have the right contracts and the right um, relationships, the right vendors to be able to execute. So that there, there's there's some benefit there. Make, that's your manufacturing. So that's mm-hmm. that's in, in, in strong partnership with their industrial engineering friends mm-hmm. and ensuring that um, there's efficiency there and that you're end-to-end um, are able to deliver to the customer um, based off what you what you're creating, so to speak, and then obviously deliver, which mm-hmm. is really going to be your sort of your physical logistics of of distribution and transportation, um, which is where I've spent lion's share of my career. Um, mm-hmm. So I can speak to mostly on. I think all of them do. I think it depends on what you want to do. So obviously, I know, you know James. You know, you're coming in and working um, as an intern you know, for William Sonoma. It's been a great experience working with you. You've kind of had a chance to see a little bit of some of those things. You've been most exposed to the deliver side, and um, there's a lot really that's there that's for the right person um, that wants to work with a team, collaborate, have goals and objectives, set them, and achieve them with a, a large group each and every day. You know, I think you can get a lot out of that in the deliver side. Mm-hmm. Um, so. It depends on what you want to do. I think if you're someone who wants to be on the plan side or the procurement side, make and deliver is maybe not for you. Mm. I would say the same thing. Make and deliver if you want to be hands-on, working with teams collaboratively, leading teams, um, setting objectives and hitting them together, make and deliver, then maybe plan and procure isn't for you as much. So I've kind of put make and deliver kind of closer together and plan and procure kind of closer together. In that regard, it's it's the same thing. Thirteen years ago, that as a way to think about it, mm-hmm. that we we did when I was a, a graduating at Penn State, um, and yeah, it's it's kind of true. I mean, I don't think it's wrong, you know, to say that um, you know, efficiency is important in all four of those phases. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's pretty pretty much kind of high level, a good way of, of, of explaining it. I think that each of them, particularly the deliver side, 
there are multiple entities that you can get into mm. with it, and th and th some of those areas are interrelated, you know, and 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 I think by working, I'll, I still think by working collaboratively with those other areas, it can make you better and smarter at the area that you're in, mm. um, and they're they're all good to get under your belt. Mm. Is there any one of those segments typically you would say is more or less stable than the other ones that it would be the first to have its jobs cut? Great question. That's a great question. Actually, and I mentioned security earlier in the interview. Mm. Um, I do think particularly make and deliver mm. are areas that, that have more stability. You're, I like to say rent's due every day. Mm. The rent is due every day in, in operations, mm. and I believe that. So it doesn't mean that you're not held to a high standard and not um, that you need to do that because it is, it is you are every day. But you're an operator, and, and in order to ensure that the operation is running smoothly, you need to have operators do that. And other areas, maybe it's opportunities for, 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 for cutting. I'll be honest with you, we look at Wayfair, my old company. I had a lot of friends or acquaintances that were recently laid off from them. They had layoffs in the last month and a half or two, month and a half, I'd say. They had layoffs, and operations wasn't really the first impacted. It was other, other areas, actually. Frankly, it was other areas not related to supply chain. Some girls it was. So there was continuous improvement was, was impacted, industrial engineering was impacted, recruiting was impacted, um, certain areas of HR that were impacted. So the operations team that was not. Doesn't mean that there couldn't be a cuts in operations. Uh, companies are closing sites. Mm. Then, uh, Wayfair, or um, excuse me, Walmart, excuse me, is uh, maybe backing down on some of their, their plans. Amazon, I think, has already announced they're backing on some of their plans mm. for, for growth. So there is paring down in some regard, and they can certainly do that. And mm. I know there was a layoff at um, a number of companies this year that I've been tracking, but um, Zulily is another company that uh, um, uh, I saw that they had, had some layoffs, and there's a large company they're owned by Curate, which has got QVC and HSN, they, they closed their site in Allentown, Pennsylvania. Peloton, another uh, large company that a lot of people know, they closed some of their operations in, I believe it's in Linden, New Jersey. Mm -hmm. I know people that were impacted by that. Mm -hmm. um, so that was operations. So I can't just say operations are never impacted. They are. Sometimes they're closed altogether. Sometimes they're, they're shipped overseas. Mm -hmm. Of course it happens. And I'd be, there are a lot of folks that have, had, have lost jobs particularly manufacturing in the automotive industry that have been impacted by that. So I can't just say it's guaranteed safe. Mm. But to me, it's, it, it's, I think of it as the safest. And I know um, that, uh, you know, by looking at some of the people that have been let go, it seems to have to at least recently been in other areas. Um, but there's, there's, no, there's no guarantee. There's no guarantee in any area mm. because the rent is due every day. Mm. And I say that for operation, but that's really true in other places too. No, I absolutely understand. Yeah, because we have to. We have all these buildings that will continue to have, yeah, as you say, they need to be used. Uh, smaller loss is better than a massive loss. Sure. And operations always ensures that. Talking about money, would you say, does the pattern for stability follow in terms of compensation? Do you think there is a discrepancy in how each of those segments are compensated? It's hard for me to say because I haven't really followed that as much, and it really depends on your your level and mm. so many other factors, education, expertise, need. There's so many area reasons why pay can be in a certain area. One thing I will say, and I was thinking about this the other day, and it is true that um, uh, there are other areas of an organization that might be compensated differently. Meaning, like if you're in sales you may be compensated on a commission basis. Mm. So that could that could 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 uh, raise the ability for you to be able to make more than someone else because you're on commission. Mm. And 
Others might be more based on base salary or um, which is probably a more common way of getting paid. So it's really hard to say. There are studies on you know which areas, uh, I look, remember looking at this way years ago, I haven't looked at it in a long time, but what based on your major, where your, where your salary would be. And this was at Penn State at least. And I do remember obviously you being able to say that accounting and finance were a higher than let's say supply chain or marketing. Mm. You know, I think actually of the business school, if I remember the major that, that and this was years ago, so I don't know if it's still true, was actuaries, mm. which are a very small amount of business majors that get in actual science, but mm. um, they, I think, were some of the highest paid, mm. at, least early, at least early in their career. Mm. But so much of that, what you get paid early in your career can can be one thing, and what you get paid later in your career mm. is based on so many other factors. Mm. It's, it's, it really depends on multiple things. Makes sense, makes sense. Kind of shifting a little bit, Bob's. I wanted to talk about culture. You've worked for a lot of companies. Would you say that one of the companies had a culture that stood out the most to you? Or I mean, I'm gonna sound maybe somewhat biased because obviously we met this way, but I really feel that way where I'm at now. Mm. Um, it's a family at Williams-Sonoma, I really feel that way. I really feel that way and I feel like, like one of the things that makes it that way is like anything else, you develop a strong relationship with someone the more you know them and how well you know them. So you celebrate birthdays, anniversaries, births of babies, um, uh, children going to college, whatever it might be over the course of a number of years. You do that with a number of people and everyone else around you is enjoying being that and being a part of that's really special. And I haven't experienced that before. Nothing. Mm -hmm. cl the closest interesting enough that I experienced was actually at Nestle. Mm -hmm. And I mentioned that, but the difference was that I felt that was very insulated. Mm -hmm. That people, it was, it was the same idea and that people had been there a long time. But as far as there being outsiders, it felt like you felt like an outsider. Mm. Here, you people have been here a long time, but everyone's really welcoming. And they want to work together, they want to collaborate, and they want to do well for the customer and the company. And it makes it, makes it a great place to work. Mm. So um, that is something that's really uh, special about here, and it, it's the most special place I've been. I really mean, really mean that. Mm. Yeah, I, uh, I personally agree with a lot of the way you feel. I found a lot of people actually speak on work that they only want to have a relationship to the extent that they can complete their work. Do you think that making your relationships less intimate and less personal is at least a risk mitigation tactic in that you can make people a little, sad to say, more expendable? Wow, it's a great question. I know we certainly don't have that here mm -hmm. in the sense of like it's, it's, I mean, there's no requirement as far as how much time to spend together, but mm -hmm. I mean, but the, the relationships here are, are special. I think that people, you know, that have, Friendship that's out of work, you know, but even with even within work, there's a lot of um, uh, camaraderie. I would say is a good word. A lot, a lot of camaraderie amongst the, the teams, and that is super important. You know, there's something to be said about it makes it easier to, to to leave a company or for a company to leave you if there's less of those relationships. Mm -hmm. But I think, particularly speaking for for this region um, that that we work in, the Northeast region. Of the, of the of the company uh, of the operations is there there has been a, a long way to go to try to build that rapport amongst one another you know mm -hmm. as a way to, to keep people together so um, ideally relationships aren't just transactional and it's mm -hmm. more than you really feel that here other places I've worked it's been more transactional and kind of cold's the right word but it's been it's been more separated mm -hmm. I'd say say in that regard. Mm -hmm. And I know you had spoke about Nestle being clicky and that they had similar culture to Williams-Sonoma to offer, but only for a few. Right. Are there any companies you felt had an outright counterproductive culture? Um, I don't know if I'd say counterproductive. I mean, all these companies are different. So for let me tell you about mm -hmm. Recommend Keys. Recommend Keys was a European company. Mm -hmm. 
very different mindset. For instance, like, you know, they, they had an o- open work environment, meaning so like no one had offices. It's like the, the head of North American supply chain and two or three of his peers might have been the only people who had offices in the whole, whole building of a thousand people. And everyone else, no one else at any other level had an office, <laughs> which, is, which, which is very common in Europe. You know, it's a, it's a Dutch company, so it's, just a, it's a different mindset than that. So it wasn't good, bad, or different. It just was different, you know, that, mind, that mindset. Um, the whole, you know, senior team in the supply chain there was each person from a different country. Uh, my boss from Israel, um, his counterparts from Peru, another counterpart from Spain, someone uh, was Hungarian. Some was Irish, so it was really that was really cool to have that. And we have a, we have a lot of diversity here at Web Summit, which is awesome. Mm-hmm. That's great. Um, that was interesting to have a lot of diversity at the more senior level, um, this, to see that and be be around that, um, which was really cool, really neat. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, I don't know if I, I no, I don't have an area that was counterproductive. Um, I would just say that the cultures that I've been to each were different kind of unique in that regard. Mm, I guess it's not a one-size-fits-all and companies would you say they create the culture based on the type of employee they want to attract? I, I, may, maybe in some regard I think you, what you do is you create a great culture that, that makes people want to stay mm. and, and give all they can to make the company do well and you treat them well and they treat you well and then we treat the customer well mm. and then you, you, you have that environment and more people want to come and want to stay in that environment. Mm. That, that That's more of how I would describe it than necessarily it being, um, you know, we're going to try to do this and see what we get. It's more of being natural. I feel like here it's natural. Mm, mm, totally get you. How do we actually facilitate the intangibles that make everyone win in our company? Right. And then, so another thing about culture too, it's hard I know to actually assess the culture of a place until you are actually working there. As yeah. far as preventing a culture shock or walking into a situation that you're not really fond of, how can you use an interview to assess the culture of a company? From, from an employee's perspective? Or I guess from a, yeah, yes, from a prospective employee. Yeah, so I, first of all, I'm a big believer that I think when someone interviews with a company, that they're interviewing you, you're interviewing them. Mm. So, it's a, so it's a two-way street, it's not just, hey, I want, they're gonna learn about me and, and learn about who I am and what I do. It's also the employee's opportunity to learn about them. Mm-hmm. So some of that you can do through your own research, but some of that you can do through um, sort of a feeling you get when you're meeting someone and, and, and having a chance to talk to them. That you have, you have a chance to actually spend time with them in that moment and, and understand them. So I can tell you, um, in my career, early in my career, I had a chance to interview with a company, I won't say which one it was, um, and the guy was super smart that I was talking to, and um, they ended up making me an offer. Um, ended up not working there, and I got a vibe from interviewing with this individual. who was very smart, very successful. That he would not have been a great boss. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I will tell you that I walked out of the interview. It was a little bit later in my career, so I had a chance I've had more experience with doing this. That he would have been either maybe the best boss I ever had or the worst boss I ever had. And I, well, I got out of that feeling saying to myself, this is gonna be really risky. <laughs> the company in some regard, but also working with this person, he was very honest and open about how he managed, how he led people, um, and how he had a very high standard for excellence, which I think is important to have. Mm. But I kind of garnered that the way he did that was, uh, he was very he was brutally honest. Again, you're interviewing the company too, it's a two-way street. Um, they're gonna make you an offer, not make you an offer. 
And if they make you an offer, then you have to decide whether it's a place you want to work or is it a place you don't want to work or, or what, and, and what that might mean for, for you if this is a good fit or not. Um, look for red flags, you know, and, and, and that, and sometimes it's not always um, as objective, um, but you have to really ask yourself when you walk out of an interview, is someone I want to work, can work for? I talked to a friend recently who was actually interviewing with, another, with a company, and he was really unsure about the person he interviewed with. And I said, stop for a second, that's a red flag. You know, because that person, you're gonna have a, lot, a, a, a really close relationship with. We're gonna be interacting with a lot. So I have a very good relationship with my, my manager now. He's the best manager I've ever had. Mm -hmm. I mean that. He's the toughest person I've ever worked for, and the best. Mm -hmm. They can be congruent. Earlier in my career, I had a couple of managers who were probably some of the toughest I ever had, but they weren't the best. But I, I can honestly say that I feel that way, and I feel challenged every day at work, which is important. Mm -hmm. um, but at the same token, um, you know, I, I feel also appreciated. You know, which which is which is really good, and, and I feel like I'm challenged to get better, both for myself and for the organization, which is which is really key. So, um, you really, you have to walk out of that, and some of it's a feeling. You know, when you're interviewing, they're interviewing you, and you're interviewing them. Over the course of your life, and the course of of, of everything you do, they're going to see your resume, and they're going to see an interview, they're going to interview. Maybe you'll have some referrals. Maybe you'll know some of the people. But both sides are really taking a chance on each other in that mm -hmm. regard. It's, it's really rather limited what, what you have when you're making a decision. Um, so it's, it's, it's a challenge sometimes for an employee to pick the right employer. It's a challenge for the employer to pick the right employees, mm -hmm. but it's also a challenge for the employee to pick the right employer mm -hmm. for that. So it's a, definitely, definitely is a two-way street. Oh, it makes a lot of sense. Like, it's a big deal, too, at your job, because that person will have to deal with you a lot. Exactly and right. And then you're going to have to deal with them. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Jason, I really appreciate your time today. Yeah. It's been absolutely wonderful. You shared with us a lot of good tips. Yeah. Is there anything you'd like to leave with our audience? Um, just that um, a career is a great journey, and there's going to be a lot of winding paths that are both good and not so good. And it's important to really build a good network mm -hmm. and to be resilient. Um, because there's going to be things around your control that are going to happen and things in your control that you can happen that you can get better with but the things that are out of your control um, try to take in stride build a good network of people that you can go to for mentorship and in some cases help I've tried to do that in my career it's something that I definitely advise other people to do as well mm -hmm. to marathon yes it is well Jason thank you again very much it's been a pleasure and thank you everyone for tuning in Thanks again for listening to this episode of Supply Chain Central. Be sure to check us out on Instagram at Rutgers Ruska and follow us on Spotify to know when new episodes are posted. That's a wrap!